Good morning and welcome to our Good Friday service. Well, many of us know it as Good Friday, but if we put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, there was nothing good about today. The one man that left everything to follow is now hanging on a cross. All hope seems to have been stripped away. We trust that as you get ready to hear from Stephen, you have your Bible, your notepad, your tea, your coffee, and you're ready to listen and engage with the sermon. Hey everyone, so today is Good Friday and as we come to this weekend, we focus on the whole Easter story. But when it comes to Good Friday, we pause on the death of Jesus, which is a weird thing. Why is death a good thing? Why is it good news? How do we call this Good Friday, especially this kind of a death? Now, since the first centuries of Christianity, there have been a number of symbols that represent Christianity. For example, the symbol of the fish. But even since then, the most common symbol for Christianity has been the symbol of a cross. Now, if you've been religious and you've come to church, the cross is often thought about in nostalgic ways. And so we sing about the old rugged cross. We've got pictures of crosses up on our walls or real crosses hanging. We've got cross jewelry. We have those pictures that we generate on our cell phones and our computers with a Bible verse and a beautiful sunset with some crosses in the foreground. And those pictures are designed to give us a sense of religious nostalgia. But the cross is anything but that. I'm not going to get into all the gruesome details of the cross. But crucifixion was invented by the Persians and it was perfected by the Romans as a means of torture and cruel punishments for the most despised people in Rome. It was illegal to crucify a Roman citizen. Most people who were crucified were males, but if it was on the odd occasion a female, they were turned around to face the cross simply so that no one had to see the cruel punishments that was happening to them. Crucifixions happened in public places, kind of like if it had to happen in the mall or on YouTube. And in fact, a special word was invented to describe the pain associated with the cross. And that is the word excruciating, which literally means ex-crux, out of the crux. That is the kind of pain that was developed in this form of execution. And so it's hard to see why we call this good news and good Friday, and especially if maybe you're watching and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Is this just some weird bloodlust day? Um, maybe that's okay if we're Vikings, but we're not Vikings. So what is all of this about? Well, one of the passages that explains this best for us is found in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 onwards. So we're going to spend some time looking at these verses so that we can see the good in Good Friday. So let's read from verse 6, where it says this. You see... At just the right time, when we were still powerless. Now, I want to stop there. Because maybe you're listening to this, and again, you're irreligious, and you're like, well, this is really offensive to me. I mean, I drive my car, I make decisions, I'm in control of my life. And it is true that we as humans are capable of great power. 
We are capable of great things. Just think about the cities that we've built. Think about our technology. Think about space exploration. Think about the Mars rover. And so, yes, we as humans are capable of greatness. But there are two areas that we have repeatedly proved ourselves to be absolutely powerless in. And the first area is really what people have called the human condition. That generation after generation has proved that there's something flawed in us. We say, oh, well, nobody's perfect. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about. That somehow the greatest pains that we have experienced as humanity have been caused by other humans. The very same humans capable of greatness are also capable of inflicting evil and pain. And in fact, most of the pain in your life has been inflicted upon you by other humans. And in fact, some other humans would say that you have inflicted great pain upon them and caused them discomfort despite your best efforts. And in fact, if you were to take an honest audit of your own life, you'd realize that you are probably your own worst enemy. We have tried to fix this in ourselves. And despite our best efforts, somehow the next generation comes out and is as flawed as all the generations that went before it. This flawedness, this brokenness is what the Bible calls sin. And so this is an area that we're powerless to fix on our own. Another area that we are powerless to fix on our own is the fact that one in one people will die. Now, isn't that good news? Right? Some people die young. Some people die old. Some people die tragically. Some people die peacefully. And while we have found ways to live longer than maybe we did 50, 100, 200 years ago, we still know that every single one of us are going to face the inevitable same end and that is death and so yes we are capable of greatness but when it comes to the human condition and sin when it comes to death these are two areas that we are absolutely powerless in and these are the areas that the gospel is going to address so let's see how the bible continues to flatter us because it says you see at just the right time when we were still powerless christ died for the ungodly Again, maybe you find that insulting. I'm ungodly. Way to flatter me. Way to get me onto your side, right? Now, I think sometimes if we're to think about it, we think that if there was a God, that he's something like us, but maybe slightly better. So here's like the really evil people in the world. And here's me somewhere along the line. And here's the really good people in the world. Like, I don't know, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, whoever comes to mind for you. And then we go slightly further down the line and there's Jesus or God. And yet, if we had to even stop and think and consider that if there was a God who was capable of planning and putting into place this entire cosmos, if we think about the complexity of the universe and stars and the cells and subatomic physics and what we're discovering about what else is there, we would start to realize that this God is not a slightly version, better version of us, that this God is infinitely greater than us. And then we go to the scriptures and we start to realize that whether it comes to God's glory, God's morality, God's power, God's complexity, God's love, God's compassion, that he isn't just a slightly better version of us. He is infinitely greater than us. 
Saying that God is just like us but one step better is like saying that the sun is a slightly better version than a candle when in fact the sun is billions and trillions of times more powerful than the candle. And in the same way, if we say we're ungodly, we're simply acknowledging the truth that we are ungodlike. That he is so other in kind and in degree that yes, we are ungodly. So we're powerless when it comes to these central things and we are ungodly. So that kind of sets the stage for Good Friday. So let's see what God did about this. And we see this in verse 7 and 8. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. And many great stories and movies have been made about that kind of a storyline. But verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, and we've defined that already, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we were in the state of helplessness and ungodliness. We were in a state of sin and yet motivated by love, Christ died for us. So why did he do that? Why did he die for us? And why did he call that love? Well, to help you understand that, I want you to imagine that you're on a typical, I don't know, Cape Townian city street or a European street. You know, the kind of street where there's lots of cars and traffic, but there's also lots of people on the sidewalk. And you're walking down there and a guy runs in front of you, jumps in front of a car, gets smashed by the car, doesn't die. So you stop. You see if he's okay. You call the ambulance. You go with him to the hospital to see just that he's going to make it. And as he comes to, he looks at you and he says, I did that for you. And I did that because I love you. I mean, that's not love. That's called being psychotic. That's absolute craziness. And I can understand how for some people... Christ dying on the cross would seem exactly the same way. Well, let's change up that story in our imaginations. Let's say that you're walking down the street. A guy charges you, pushes you over, and a car, a rogue car that was headed towards you, hits him. Same thing. He's badly injured. You call the ambulance. You go with him to the hospital. He comes too. But now, instead of thinking this guy's crazy, you realize This was done to save you. You were the one that should have been hit by that car. And now this person put themselves in the crosshairs of that car. And and, and now your response is love. Your response is gratitude. Your response is to be completely bowled over by what just transpired. You see, Jesus did not randomly climb on a cross and be tortured in that way and call it love. No, we were the ones who are powerless when it comes to sin and brokenness and the human condition. We are the ones who are in the crosshairs of death. And Jesus said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get you out the way and I am going to stand in the way of the consequences of sin and death and I'm going to take it upon myself. And suddenly we see why that is the definition of love. He became the rapist. He became the murderer. He became the sex trafficker. He became the liar. He became the cheat. He became the adulterer. And here's something else we've got to see. While Jesus was fully innocent, 
God wasn't up in heaven throwing a temper tantrum, just causing the maximum amount of pain upon his innocent son. No, this moment was a measured response to our human condition by the triune God, meaning that the Father and the Son and the Spirit chose to save us. Jesus chose to take on human flesh. The scriptures say that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. It's not like Jesus didn't know what is going on, like a random animal being punished and the vengeful father is up there in heaven. Jesus too was also the sin-hating God and the sinner-loving God and the sinner-saving God. So this was a measured response by God to accept the consequences of our sin and failure and death and in doing so to save us, to save you and to save me. Now to help us understand this more fully, let's zoom out a bit. Just before we do that, keep in mind that if Jesus stayed dead, the death accomplished nothing. Alright, so that's why we have Easter Sunday that's coming. So please join us on Easter Sunday. But enough about that. You see, we celebrate the cross as the place where God righted the wrongs that are our greatest enemies. God righted the wrongs that are our greatest enemies. Now there's two sides to this. To illustrate that, I want you to imagine a Lamborghini. Alright, sorry for Ferrari or Porsche lovers, but just for the sake of this, imagine a Lamborghini. Now, father buys his son a Lamborghini. We've all seen those stories where the son goes out on a drinking night and he totally wrecks the Lamborghini. Alright, so now imagine that Lamborghini is wrecked. The son comes back to the father. The father is upset, but the father says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to fully restore that Lamborghini. So, the Lamborghini goes into the shop and it gets the best work. There's no expense spared. And after a period of time, that Lamborghini is shop new. Everything about that car is as if it is fully and completely restored. Its performance is at 100%. So the question is, is that the end of the story? Is the story just the fact that the Lamborghini was smashed up and then it was restored? Or is there more to the story? You see, the real story is how the Lamborghini can be a Lamborghini again. It was designed to fly. It was designed to impress. It was designed to perform. It was designed to be fast. Then the smash came, the restoration came, and the Lamborghini was empowered to be its fullness again. You see, the Bible doesn't start and end with sin and wrath. The Bible starts starts with God creating us in his image where he had purpose for us he had design for us we failed at that and there was failure now the cross is restoration where God is writing the wrongs of our lives and our sin and our enemies death and the point is that's not the end of the story the Bible continues that we are restored for a purpose to once again become what God designed us to fully be. This is so important. The cross doesn't restore us back to our old selves. The cross restores us in some ways to our new selves, which is actually part of the trajectory of what God originally actually intended 
for us. This explains why so many people go to Easter services year after year, hear the story of the cross year after year, and are completely unchanged. But when we understand that we were created by God to somehow be under Him and be submitted to Him fully, we were also created to be empowered by Him, to reign with Him, and to rule with Him, and to create with Him, and to speak with Him, and to bring His kingdom into being. We start to see that sin is so much more than we simply broke a few rules and somebody needed to be punished. Rather, sin is that we failed to be this. We failed to be what God intended us to fully be and because of this fatal flaw within us called sin with the ultimate consequence being death we are just so far removed from what god intended for us but then we get the person of jesus christ we get the person who fully is submitted to god who prays every second of the day not my will but your will be done who is fully empowered by god who fully embodies god who fully lives god's kingdom who fully brings kingdom to earth that is who jesus was and so god wants to restore us to that he doesn't want us to look at the cross and go back to our old lives he wants us to be restored in Christ and to go forward and to live these lives of bringing God's kingdom into his world as we are submitted to him, but also empowered and animated by him. That's the story. So let us not be like the Lamborghini that gets trashed and goes back to thinking it's a, a foxy. No offense to the humble foxy. But let us be those who recognize that we are being restored to a far greater purpose and a far greater picture. And so therefore, Good Friday is a place of transformation. Good Friday, yes, is a place of death, but it's a place of newness. It's a place of submission. It's a place of being empowered by God to live according to the purpose for which you and I were created. J.D. Greer, who's a pastor that I enjoy, he often says that the gospel can be boiled down to four words. God in my place. And often we think about the cross rightly as a place just like that man who died the death that we should have died. So that was who Jesus was. He died the death, experiencing the full consequences of sin and death in my place. But he didn't only die the death we should have lived. He lived the life we should have lived. And as he continues to live, so we are made alive in him and we can fulfill the very reason why God created you and I in the first place. You see, Good Friday doesn't just simply make us nostalgic Christians. Good Friday should make us better humans as we submit ourselves to God and his power and his purpose. You see, I'm afraid that if we don't do that... If we don't see the bigger picture, the zoomed out picture, then we will listen to this Good Friday message. We will listen to the story of the cross again. We will take communion. We will say how wonderful that time was. We will sing the songs about the cross and we will remain unchanged. And if that's the case, I would say then we haven't understood the gospel we haven't truly believed the gospel. We haven't fully responded 
to the gospel. And I'm not saying that we will never fail again because we will fail again. What I am saying is we are reborn to a new life, a new way of following Jesus, a new way of being made alive to him. And so, yes, I failed, but the cross has restored me and put me onto a brand new life with a brand new trajectory. And that is what it means to be a Christian ultimately. So how does this work? How can you live according to this new reality? Well, that's better left for Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. So please join us. But what we're going to do now is we're going to head towards the communion table. Where are we going to remember Good Friday? We're going to remember the cross. But as we do that, I want to read just a few more verses in this passage that start to hint at this picture that I've just spoken to you about. And then we will do communion together. Verse 10 says, For if, when we were God's enemies, again we've described that, we oppose God in so many ways in our hearts. For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, that's what we've just spoken about, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? So as we do communion together, let's pause on the death of Jesus. But let's everything that we've spoken about today be imported into our understanding of the death of Jesus. So we understand why this is good news, why this is Good Friday. So I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to take communion together, and then we together are going to have an opportunity to respond in worship. So let us pray. Father, we don't just do this to be religious. We don't just do this out of duty. We do this out of delight. Holy Spirit, help us realize, yes, that we are the ones who are powerless. That we are unable to save ourselves from sin. And we are unable to save ourselves from death. And help us therefore look at Jesus as the one who died in my place. And as the one who lived the life that I couldn't live. And as we do this, help us realize that we have been restored through the death of Jesus. Reconciled to you so that we can live a new life. With new vision and with new power. A life where we see your kingdom coming.